This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. I can't express the grief, anger, rage, frustration I have felt as many people with hearts and minds have felt at the horrific beating of Tyree Nichols. I told you and and many, many others that you did not need to watch the video in order to feel like you are connected to and want justice. Because you see, we are filled with a lot of trauma. Our bodies are holding traumatic tissue, right? And I I saw a post the other day that said that our cells actually are hold like nine generations of trauma, which seems absolutely insane. But then at the same time, you're like, oh, this makes sense. So when people say things like, oh, you know, these are just a couple of bad people or a couple of bad cops and it's not all cops and blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying it's an entire fucking system that my ancestors have been fighting for and against for hundreds of years. Like that's the reason why I can't watch these videos that I can't watch for entertainment films like 12 years a slave or you know, biopics that are steeped in this country's violent history because I feel it physically manifest in my body. And in order for me to continue to do the work that I do 
I need to have some boundaries in my self-care and self-preservation because you see, they are trying to kill us. And they are succeeding. Whether it is through heart disease, heart attack, whether it is through drug overdose, suicide, whether it is through shootings, mass shootings or police shootings or police beatings or suffocations. They are trying to kill us. White supremacy is working over time. And what I find folks is that if we don't set some type of boundaries, if we don't find a way to delve into what our purpose and path is in creating some type of change and feeling like our time spent here is about doing more than what is for our own fucking comfort. I have white folks that listen to this show that DM me often, send me tweets, messages, showing their outrage and their disgust and saying, what can I do? I want to do something. And all I can tell every single white person that listens to me on a regular basis is you need to talk to your white family members, your white friends, your white colleagues, because they don't listen to us. It is like sending out a fucking dog whistle and it falling on non-listening ears. They don't listen to us, but they may listen to you. And what I am looking for is not white people that want to be patted on the back for doing the right fucking thing. I want white people who have black mindsets, mindsets that are steeped in justice and equity, right? And challenging a system that you know was made for your comfort, but you are choosing, choosing to use that privilege and that voice to wake up your fucking neighbors, your friends, your family. Because you see, what I have realized is that it is going to take a majority of white Americans to choose consciousness, to choose discomfort, to choose the knowing rather than the ignorance. And right now, we are at a slippery motherfucking slope where you have the DeSantis's of the world and the McCarthy's of the world and the McConnell's of the world and the Abbott's of the world and the Trump's of the world and the Bannon's of the world and the Giuliani's of the world that are working fucking overtime to keep you disinformed and full of fucking white rage. And what I am begging for is that white people don't fall for the rope-a-dope. That we are not going to get through this life, right? This authoritarianism, this fascism that is raining down supreme, one state after the other, fucking North Dakota is threatening to jail librarians. Google it. Where the fuck do you think that this is headed? 
Queer people, black people, and people of color are low-hanging fruit for fascism. You're next. Because if you don't look like them, if you don't think like them, if you don't pray like them, if you don't love like them, if you don't talk and walk like them, if you don't hate like them, they are coming for you. So if we don't spend our time in whatever time this God and this universe is providing for us right now to figure out how to activate those around us, then we are wasting time and we are wasting breath. And frankly, we don't have time to waste. Coming up next is my conversation with Christina Sinsun Ramirez, who is the president of Next Gen, the nation's largest youth voting organization that got a lot of young people to the polls, which is why our midterm elections, on top of black people showing up in mass, why Kevin McCarthy's majority is so fucking slim. So we get into a conversation about the youth vote, about what is turning the youth on, what are they connecting to and disconnecting from, and how to keep these folks engaged because they're some of the last hopes that we have. So coming up next, my conversation with Christina Sinsun Ramirez. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the first time, Christina Sinsun Ramirez, who is the president uh, and executive director of Next Gen America, um, one of the nation's largest youth voter mobilization efforts and organizations. Christina, you know, we are in the beginning of, of 2023 and the 2022 the 2022, I talk about it as if it is its own title because it caused so much uh, issues and friction and anxiety because of the midterm elections. Um, the midterm elections boasted the highest youth voter turnout that we've ever seen, right? It was historic in a lot of ways. And there is a lot of speculation that folks uh, have had as to why. Um, I believe that youth are always attacked prior to any election that they're never going to turn out, that they're not reliable. Um, it's a lot of negativity. And so I, I want to, before we, we, we dive into where we are right now, I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on where we have come from, from the 2022 uh, midterm elections. Well, I, you know, you just said so many important things right there about like the myths about young people that this election busted through and also the last two elections. So We've had historic high turnout in 2018, 2020, the highest youth voter turnout in American history, 2022. And everyone said Democrats were going to lose and they were going to lose terribly. And then they held the Senate. They flipped a Senate seat and Republicans won by a tiny margin the House. Mm -hmm. And you can see the shit show that it is now because they don't have the full numbers to actually govern even with even with holding the, the majority because their party is a mess. And so young people in large part, saved American democracy. And you, you know, the myth about young people is twofold. One is that young people are apathetic, that they don't care. Well, this is actually the most politically engaged generation in American mm. history. 
And the second thing is that as people get older, they're just going to get more progressive. And what we're seeing with older millennials um, as they're aging out of like the younger voter population, which I'm an older millennial, is that we are actually staying progressive. And there's still a lot of research that needs to be done on why. But, you know, and I think it's a huge part is that we are also the most young people represent the most diverse generation in American history. And if you look at who the Republican Party is today, it doesn't look like most of America. And it doesn't represent the needs. And especially young people, they're either people of color or queer themselves, or they have friends that are. And they look around and they say, I don't want to be aligned with a party that doesn't even give us space to fully exist as full equal human beings Come on. in this country. And so I think that that's also a huge part of why you're seeing young people stay progressive. And the last part just being that this is the first generation in American history to be worse off than their parents economically. And so young people also are trying to not just make change around the margins, they're really trying to make a bold progressive policy change. And um, that's why you see so many young people turning out is they understand that they have power to make a real difference. You know, I want to dig into a, a couple of things that you said, but most notably the fact that this generation is going to be far worse off economically than their parents' generation. I would also argue emotionally and spiritually because of the number of traumas that they are up against, right? Um, global health pandemic, uh, you know, a, a impending recession, climate change crises. But I, I want to talk to you about you know, what are some of the things that you hear from young people with regard to not having had their parents' generations and before them set them up for success? What is the, what is, what is the feeling and the response to what we know is a fairly new statistic? You know, I, I think that that's part of the reason you have young people so wanting deep changes and deep structural change also in the economy and how the economy works is this is a generation also that grew up in, two, in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis that saw Occupy Wall Street. You had Bernie Sanders run for president and aptly name greed um, by the ultra, ultra wealthy in this country as causing a growing gulf of inequality and tax policy, labor policy, um, uh, wage disparities all helping grow that divide. And so, you know, you have a huge flow of information for young people on social media where they don't have to look to traditional outlets about how to develop their own ideas and understanding of the world. This is a generation that is most likely to live with their parents since the Great Depression. Yeah. Yep. Uh, least, you know, least likely to own a home. And you have, yes, a lot of young people are, are young families, but you also have a lot of young people that are saying, I don't feel like I can ever have kids mm. because of the amount of debt. I have, or because I'm afraid of the future of the climate crisis and just the amount of economic and, uh, you know, climate instability that I feel in this moment. And so it's a huge burden, you said mentally, emotionally. And, um, but I do think, you know, at NextGen, we are an explicitly progressive organization, but we don't put our hope in any single one politician or party to solve these problems. We put our hope in America's young people, because if we look at any time our country has made a great leap forward on an issue that people said was impossible to solve or was just going to take longer, it took the courage, imagination, and impatience of young people pushing to make that change. You know, I just, I, I, I oftentimes say that I feel really bad for today's youth. I feel like the prior generation 
um, and generations have failed them. And it is largely, Bernie Sanders was completely right, it is largely due to greed. Um, it is largely due to this idea that we are not, we're an abundant nation for some, right? Uh, and then for everyone else, you're left to fight uh, for the scraps that are left behind. And that is what we've left our young people when we've given them, we've told them all, you need to go to college, right? If you want to make it in America, you need to go to college and be competitive and then put yourself in six figures worth of debt. So then when you get out of college, you have to take the first job that comes your way that may not even be a good one because you got to start paying back those student loans because the likelihood that you're going to pay them back, you know, before you turn 50 is real slim, right? Um, uh, and, and again, depending on what kind of field that you go into. So I, I want to switch gears to um, what it was, uh, and, and I know we, we've touched upon this, but what it was that you think really got young people to the polls, uh, in 2022, because, you know, we know that midterm elections are historically low voter turnout. It is really the, um, I I would say that the 50 to 65 year olds that are more likely to turn out. And that is the generation that is still quite conservative in their thinking. Um, and you know, are hard, are, are more likely to attach themselves to the, oh, America was once great. So we, we're with the make America great again, uh, Trumpism crowd. What compelled these, this, this crop of young people to recognize the importance of this midterm? You know, we saw, we were expecting high youth voter turnout. And then, um, I think what really solidified for a lot of young people who had turned out again in historic numbers in 2018 and 2020, but that caught Republicans. And I think everyone by surprise, this election was just the historic numbers by which young people out and young people turned out and how many voted for Democrats. And you can really look at it as this was an election and a referendum on protecting the rights of abortion and an entire generation of young people that had grown up with the right to decide what happened with their own bodies and their own futures, their own health. And that was taken away. So our polling showed that two thirds of young voters said they felt like abortion was on the ballot and it was motivating them to vote. You had historic numbers of young women in particular registering to vote um, on their own in key states. Um, In some states like Pennsylvania, you saw women registering by a 10-point margin difference of but then men um, after the decision to to overturn Roe and 81 percent or sorry, 71 percent of young women that turned out to vote this election mm-hmm. voted for Democrats and 53 percent of young men. So we saw a huge gender gap. Still, the majority of young people overwhelmingly by a 28 point margin voted for Democrats this election. That's exit polling from Circle, our good friends at Tufts mm-hmm. University. But um taking away a fundamental right of an entire generation helped young people get motivated and also understand that again, fascism was on the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's hard, I think for, you know, I don't know, actually, I don't know. Why do you think that it's harder, seemingly harder for older people to wrap their minds around fascism? And yet the younger generation seems to have gotten it. Like, Oh, no, no. And is it because they're fresh out of schooling? So they understand like the the current issues and comparative government in a way that older people are so far departed from understanding comparative government in that way? 
I mean, I think there are a lot of older folks that are also concerned about the growth in fascism and authoritarianism. But when we look at voting patterns and where people are voting, it's true that um, the oldest generations are still voting for candidates and a party that has really veered towards fascism and authoritarianism um, and QAnon conspiracy theories and you name it. Um, you know, you see that younger people are the targets of mm-hmm. what where where authoritarian rule and fascist rule gets to determine who gets to be fully American, whose rights get to protect be protected. Well, uh, immigrants, people of color, queer folks, trans folks, they become the target. Yeah. And so um, a lot of those folks are younger um, and or identify in that way that are younger. And so that's, I think, a huge reason why you see young people saying no to a fascist regime that has no place for communities of color, for indigenous folks, for queer folks, and was even willing to go to the extreme of rolling back reproductive rights and health care on, you know, any childbearing age woman in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it, it is, it's so absolutely wild um, to think about how much America has regressed. I mean, for the first time, I think it was in 2021, was the first time that America was labeled as a backsliding democracy, right, in the history of this country. And that that in and of itself didn't set off more alarms, right? And I, and I, and I, and I mean that in the way that if, if you're announcing that one of the stalwarts of democracy in the world is now backsliding and trending in, in the negative direction, you would think that that would be on everybody's headline paper, right? Like it would, it would be headline news and yet it's not. So fast forward, you know, we have midterm elections. Thank God. Um, young people showed out. Thank God. People of color showed out. Uh, thank God. Black people came out and recognized that every election is the most consequential election given the lengths that the Republican Party is willing to go to to steal uh, an election, to deny uh, a free and fair election. And so now we have arrived at a place where Kevin McCarthy is the Fisher-Price Speaker of the House, basically just in name only, because he's given away every bit of credibility and every bit of power to the far Marjorie right. Marjorie Green is the Speaker, is of, the the speaker of the House. Yeah. Um, and you have Democrats still have the Senate and uh, and the White House. What do young people, what are, as they are seeing this shit show unfold in the House of Representatives and this this implosion of the Republican party, or should I say the revealing of who the Republican party is, what do young people think? Because in my mind, I would say, well, goddamn, you know, if this is who we have in charge, maybe I should just opt all the way out. Or is it working in the reverse where people, young people are like, this is the shit show that we have. I got to opt all the way in. You know, I think one, young people are overwhelmingly progressive, right? But they are, many don't identify as Democrats. They they care about progressive policy, right? And I think that we have, we have quickly become a one party that clearly believes in democracy and one that doesn't. And so you have one choice really at this point. But I also think, you know, even in a moment like this, where there is a lot of cynicism, what I see is also a lot of hope from young people Mm -hmm. and also uh, you and I are like on the older side, right? Like, 
yes. you're old enough to remember the Democratic Party of the 90s mm-hmm. that was willing to sell out Black women, that was willing to sell out immigrants, that mm-hmm. was willing to sell out the gay, the queer community, that was pretty similar on the Republican Party on yep. foreign policy, um, on this similar place in the social safety net. And we've come a very long way. Like, so I like to remind ourselves that we are at a place where the Democratic Party has centered canceling student debt, has centered tackling the climate crisis, has been willing to have hard conversations about race and policing in this country. Um, there is a clear distinction and also supports gay marriage. Like young people organizing and communities of color organizing have shifted the Democratic Party. So while we're in a moment where there's fascist and authoritarian threats that are very real, there is also something happening in the Democratic Party where the voices that were often pushed to the margins are being centered. Um, And I think that that's an exciting moment that young people also recognize is happening. And also you have very exciting young dynamic candidates running, even while the House is in, Mm -hmm. feels like it's in free for all, you have young candidates that are in elected office that are helping frame for young people what's possible and making feel, make them feel like their voices are now being heard in the halls of Washington. Christina, talk to us too about how the ever apparent climate crisis is shaping up the youth vote as well. In the past few years, every fire season, every Hurricane season, every tornado season has been quote unquote historic, right? We had people over the holiday season frozen to death in their cars because the temperatures dropped in such an abrupt way in Buffalo, New York. And it was more like a snow hurricane than a snowstorm that hit that area. We have seen billions of animals die in Australia due to fire. How does climate change um, play with young people? And as we look at that and guns and abortion, police violence, how would you kind of rate, you know, these levels of, uh, of importance for them? You know, so our organization was started 10 years ago with the intention of being able to build a political force that would be that would be able to push candidates to tackle the climate crisis to the scale needed. And we originally started organizing all people, but then we quickly realized like within the first year, oh, most people that care about climate change are the people that are going to have to face its greatest consequences, young Mm. people. We need to focus on organizing young people and building up their political power. And I'll tell you that 10 years ago when we started, and I wasn't here, the other people will tell you, it's like everyone said it was a waste of money, that it was a waste of time. Young people would never turn out. um, And it's 10 years later. And we've had the highest youth voter turnout when we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the largest single climate bill that any country's passed in the world to tackle the climate crisis. And if all of it gets implemented, we'll be able to cut carbon emissions by 40% in a very short time period. And so young people crisis as in their top three issues. Um, and most young people I talk to you know, we're feeling, people are feeling the real consequences of the climate crisis. You know, I live in Texas, where we had the historic Texas freeze, and our Texas senator, Ted Cruz, peaced out, uh, blamed his five-year-old daughters, you know, his little daughters on that trip. And 700 people were estimated to have died, died. Mm. uh, Mm. And, you know, if you total up the number of people that are dying from these catastrophes in a year or two years, it's more people than died in 9-11, right? So these are man-made tragedies 
where thousands of Americans, and we're just not even talking about the globe, but just thousands of Americans are paying with their lives. And so, you know, there is also the urgency. And that's, I think, why you see young people voting. Like there is a sense of urgency that maybe we could come out of authoritarian rule, but you layer on a climate catastrophe. And if we don't take the action necessary, we have to face the long-term actions. It's always bewildering to me on the climate crisis. And this is when we talk about greed in American politics and like who people really work for, that it is so clear. I'm like, do they, they care so much about power and money that they don't even care about their legacy. Like we will look back at this inaction on the climate crisis in the same way we do on the, the positions that policy and politicians made in their immorality on slavery. Like there is no yep. position where this is okay to do this to an entire generation of future generations. Like, do they not even give a damn about their grandchildren? Yeah. Um, you know, as we wrap up, last question for you. Uh, Christina, is this, what do you think the biggest myth is about this generation of voters? And what do people need to truly know about them? I think what we talked about at the beginning is that people think young people are apathetic. This really is not just the most politically engaged generation of people voting, but this is a generation that is marching in the streets, that is volunteering, that is really trying to care about big, broad social justice issues and take action on them, whether it's the climate crisis, abortion rights, or um, criminal justice reform. You see young people taking action at unprecedented levels and a very rapid sharing of ideas across social media about ways we can transform society. So it's while it's a a hard time, it's also a a time of rapid experimentation and Mm. exchange of ideas that I think is really exciting. Um, And so I feel like that gives me a lot of hope is to see so many young people engaged. And this is not just like a side project to care about social justice. This is very much about how people see themselves and understand their place in the world. Christina, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, chatting with you today. Tell uh, the listeners how they can get involved and find out more about NextGen. Um, You can go to nextgenamerica.org. One thing I would say is, you know, we run the largest youth vote operation in the country. We were on 245 college campuses last election in eight states. Our 28,000 volunteers helped us send 25 million texts and phone calls to young people. We also even organize, our volunteers organize on dating apps because you can search by age, political persuasion, um, geography. And we say there's nothing sexier than sliding into people's DMs and talking about the big deep democracy. So um, I don't do it because it's creepy because I'm now over 40, but like everyone else should do it and join in. Um, And you can volunteer with us from anywhere you are. Um, Let's build a political force to transform our country together. Amazing. Christina Sinsoon Ramirez, thank you so much for making the time to join Woke AF. Appreciate you. Thanks so much. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.